Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Because at times, especially after we have sinned, at times we will bargain with God. God, will you forgive me? Lord, I'll go to church every week if you forgive me. Like God desires? What does God get out of that? If you go to church, the, you know, every day, every week, the rest of your life. God, I'll, I'll read your Bible, your word every day. What, what does God gain? God's grace and forgiveness are limitless and freely given to a broken and repentive heart. There is much power in the words, Lord, forgive me. Whatever you've done that may be keeping you from an intimate relationship with Jesus, accept his forgiveness today. We're in Hebrews 10, 1 through 39 with Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. In Hebrews chapter 10, we have one of those scary warnings that we have in the book of Hebrews. And quite frankly, I can understand why people get scared at this warning. It's in Hebrews 10, 26, and it says, If we sin willfully, after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain, a certain expectation of judgment, it goes on to say, which if that applies to any time we sin, knowing what we're doing, then I gotta think there's probably not a person in this room, there's probably not a person listening who would not be frightened of that verse. One thing that I know, it doesn't mean that every time we sin, knowing that we're sinning, that there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. So we're going to take time today to look at chapter 10 and to answer the question, what does this warning mean? And I want to tell you that I, I believe with the warnings, there are those who will say the warnings in Scripture, that they're not really warnings to us, that God puts them there for whatever reason, but they're not really warnings. I don't believe that. I believe the warnings are there for certain people. And what we want to make sure with this warning, especially that we're not that person. And if we are that person, that we would turn and make sure that we make things right with God before we leave this place today. So as we start Hebrews chapter 10, we are beginning the application section of the book. We've done a lot of theology up to this point. We've learned that there was a change in the law. As it says in Hebrews 9, by necessity, there was a change in the law. We know that we are no longer under the law, even though there are all kinds of people who will try to put you under the law themselves. They'll try to lay burdens on you. We know that we're not, because if we were still under the law, then Jesus could not be our high priest, because he is of the tribe of Judah. According to the law, you had to be of the tribe of Aaron. So we know that the law was completed. People will say, well, Jesus said that not one jot or tittle of the law would pass away. Well, what's interesting to me is how you can so choose your context and not finish your context. Context will tell you everything. You realize you can say whatever you want to say by taking a passage out of context. There's an Old Testament passage that says, go out, get drunk, party, have a great time. And you can go, okay, Bible says that. But then if you read the context, it's like, hey, if you're not living for Christ, if you're not living for God, then you might as well go and it kind of throw, it goes into it. It's certainly not saying as Christians that we should do that. And the passage that says, not one jot or tittle of the law will pass away, has this as the very next word, until. 
until. Will not pass away until. And that word until tells you there's going to be a time when it passes away. Until it is fulfilled. And Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And we've seen that, and I'm not going to want to rehash all of that. I just want to say this quickly, and then we'll move on. Jesus became our sacrifice, so we no longer give sacrifices. Jesus became our high priest, so we no longer have a high priest. He became our Sabbath, so we no longer have to follow the Sabbath law. Although Romans 16 says that if you want to esteem one day higher than another, you can. If you want to go to church on Saturday or go to a church that does, you can. But the rest of Romans 16 says, leave people alone. Mind your own business. It says if they want to do another day, then you let them do another day. They both do it unto God. So we've gone over all of that. But now we get to the application section. And you remember that this is a group of Hebrew Christians that are alive while the temple is still around. They have made a commitment to Christ. And what we know about early Christians before the temple was destroyed is that many of them got excommunicated. Many of them were removed from Judaism and they couldn't go and serve God. And we also know that some of them chose to partake in certain things. Just as I believe that there's some freedom today, if some people want to partake of a Seder meal or some people want to practice some portion of the law, you're free to do that as long as you don't think that that gives you some kind of an, an up on someone else or if you don't think that you're really, really worshiping God because you do that, you're free to do a lot of things. Doesn't mean you're closer to Christ. It just means you're free to do that. If you choose to do that, you have that kind of freedom. So now he gets into the last four chapters, which are applications to these people that had made a commitment to Christ. And then because Christianity was not a sanctioned religion, Judaism was under the Roman Empire, they were facing persecution as Christians. And so now they were wanting to go back into Judaism because of that persecution. And so he's been writing them, telling them, you're going back to something that's abolished. You're going back to something that's been changed. You're going back to something and you are walking away from Christ. And this is extremely bad. And in the last four chapters, he gives this in the way of application. In chapter 10, don't draw back. And I think that's a good application for any of us wherever we are not just for these Jews who are receiving this, that we don't draw back from Christ, that we're always moving forward with him, that we're always moving closer. I'm reminded of James, which tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The opposite of drawing near to God is drawing back. So this chapter, the, the, the application is don't draw back. The application of chapter 11, this is gonna be really easy for you to guess if you think about the chapter. Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of so the application in chapter 11 is to walk by? Walk by faith, for those of you who couldn't hear that they yelled out faith. All right, so that's the application, that we are not saved by the law. We are not under works, but we're under faith. And all of chapter 11 is devoted to that application in this letter. Chapter 12 is, can you quote chapters 12, 1 and 2? Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2? I'm going to start it, then you guys can add into it. So it says, uh, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and run the race with 
endurance, patience, patience in some, endurance in others. So the topic of chapter 12 is endurance, that you need to have endurance. You've run for a while. Why are you stopping now? Why are you drawing back? You need to run the race that God has given you with endurance. By faith and patience, we inherit the promises of God. And chapter 13 is the application is you are his child. You're God's child. And we'll, and we'll talk about that as we get in uh, to chapter 13. But let's begin by looking at Hebrews 10. He's, he's going to start summarizing. A lot of the stuff that we're going to begin to read now is going to sound very familiar to us because he is summarizing what we have already learned and then he gets into the application. He says in verse 1 of chapter 10, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. So that's a total summary statement. The law is a shadow. The real things are in heaven. The tabernacle was a shadow here on earth. Everything in the law was a shadow of a real image. And so when people get hung up on the law, they're getting hung up on a shadow. The sacrifices that were made by man could not make you perfect. In fact, we're going to see they only covered your sin. Verse 2. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. If they were able to make you perfect, his argument is, they wouldn't have had to make offerings every morning, every night, every year at Yom Kippur. You wouldn't have had to make sin offerings and peace offerings and burnt offerings all to God. You wouldn't have to make them anymore. For, the middle of verse 2, for the worshipers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. That is that the high priest would go every year on the day of Yom Kippur and give that sacrifice. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. So it's an important statement. All those sacrifices that were made were sacrifices that looked forward to Jesus Christ. When we think of the sacrifice that God made, when Adam and Eve made insufficient coverings after they ate of the tree of good and evil, of the knowledge of good and evil, and God killed an animal and made them animal skin coverings. When Abel, probably being reminded of that sacrifice that had been made, made a sacrifice to God of an animal and was accepted, the life is in the blood, and the shedding of that blood allowed him to be accepted, where Cain gave a grain offering and was not accepted, which we learn was because of the heart of Cain, by the way. God had told Cain, if you do right, you'll be accepted. And so these sacrifices were temporary. These sacrifices could cover sin. These sacrifices could give you some access to God, but never give you full and complete access to God. And for those who are trying to go back to the law today, and there's a good number of them, it is insufficient to be able to do the work that you're hoping the law would do. It goes on to say then in verse 5, Therefore, when he came into the world, the he there is a capital he, right? So this is when God became a man. Is it uh, Micah 5, uh, 5, 2? Blessed are you, O Bethlehem, though you're small among the nations. Out of you will come a ruler who shall rule my people. His days are from everlasting. That Jesus was preexistent as God. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you do not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. 
in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Thus I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it was written of me to do your will, O God. And in this he quotes Psalms 40 out of the Septuagint, which is good for us to understand. Because when you read the Old Testament, you go back and you read Psalms 40, it's different. It's a little different. But in the Septuagint, it's not. And so the Septuagint was the Greek copy of the Old Testament that was written 220 years before the time of Christ. It was completed because, um, well, Greek language had become the language of the world. The Bible says, in the fullness of time, God sent his son into the world. Part of the fullness of time was that there was a common language. Greek was spoken all over the world. God used Alexander the Great to do that. God used the Romans to make roads that would connect the entire world, that the gospel of Jesus Christ could travel all over the world. It was the perfect time. In fact, I believe that the coming of Jesus, when he did, was the earliest that he could have come, and the message would have been received and passed through with a common language on common roads and so many other things that had advanced to that point. It was the perfect time. But notice here that this verse, this quoting of this passage, is somewhat of a Christmas passage. A body you have prepared for me. Sacrifices and offerings you don't desire, but a body you prepared for me. Verse 5. In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, you have no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will. This tells us that the Old Testament, the New Testament, all of the scriptures speak of Jesus. This last week we saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets. Jesus said to the two men on Emmaus Road, O oh, slow to believe all that God has spoken. And he explained to them all that was written in the laws and the prophets about himself. That, by the way, gives us a new look into how to study the Old Testament. We are always looking for what is called the crimson thread. Sometimes people will say, how can you teach entire books from the Old Testament, like, like the book of Leviticus? By the way, Leviticus is one of my favorite books to teach because you see Christ in it so much. And I can't say that the first time I ever taught it. The first time I ever taught it, I thought, oh, how much of it can I take tonight? Get out of the way, you know, get through this book. But about the third time that I taught it, it really began to click. I really began to understand these things are all about Jesus. And so Jesus himself says, I have been given a body and he would bring that body as a sacrifice for us because God doesn't want sacrifices from us. We were also told that by David after he had sinned with Bathsheba and his prayer in Psalms 51 to make things right. You don't desire sacrifices or else I would give them but you desire a broken and a contrite heart. Now, this is good for us to know as well, because at times, especially after we have sinned, at times we will bargain with God. God, will you forgive me? Lord, I'll go to church every week if you forgive me. Like God desires? What does God get out of that? If you go to church, the, you know, every day, every week, the rest of your life. God, I'll, I'll read your Bible, your word every day. What, what does God gain? It's, it's a bestseller. <laughs> Lord, I'll give you 20%. God could make out of thin air 30%, right? Or anything. God doesn't desire sacrifices from you. When you sin and you're asking for forgiveness, it's not time to barter with God. 
It's just simply time to say, Lord, I'm sorry. God knows our weakness. God knows that we are so easily entangled by sin. So all we need to say is, Lord, forgive me. And there's something humble about that too, by the way. There's something humble about sitting before God and saying, Lord, will you forgive me? I just, I've sinned and I want to be right with you. Making those things right with him. And so he doesn't desire sacrifices or offerings. He has no pleasure in them. But he does have pleasure in the giving of the son. The Bible says in the book of, of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, that it pleased the father to bruise the son, which is a pretty amazing thing when you think of all of the suffering that Jesus went through on the cross, the excruciating pain of the cross. Mel Gibson had said about his movie, The Passion of Christ, that he wanted to bring people to the very edge and then push them over when it came to the suffering of Jesus. And, I, and I've got to say, I think he did that. I think he accomplished that. I stopped looking at some point. I was watching the movie. I'm like, I can't take any more. But it pleased the father to bruise the son. Why? Because of you? Because of me? Because God desires that all would be saved and all would come to the knowledge of the truth? Because a way of salvation was being made? And so the Lord was pleased with the sacrifice of Jesus, but he's not pleased with our sacrifices. The killing of a goat for their sin was not something that pleased God. And they were going to go back to that. They were going to go back to the, the sanctuary with a sacrifice as if God would be pleased with that when Jesus had made a sacrifice for them already. And then he says in verse 8, precisely saying, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you do not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. This is again Jesus speaking. Psalm 40, I believe. Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. Now, don't miss that. Jesus said, I have come to do your will, O God. And we probably should talk about that for a moment. That really ought to be our heart. We're taught to pray that way by Jesus, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we ask for something and God doesn't answer it, we want to come back and say, Lord, if it's your will, I want this. If it's not your will for me, then I don't want it. And I've often said, I don't want it even if I want it. I might want it, but if God doesn't want it, I don't want it. Even if I still want it after I don't want it because he doesn't want it for me. But you guys get what I'm saying. And then he says, the end of verse 9, he takes away the first. What's that first represent? Sacrifices? Law? I think both of those would fit there. He takes away the first. It's the context. Earlier up in this same passage, he had just talked about the law, talked about sacrifices and offering. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. The first has to be taken away. The sacrifices could not be given. And remember that the sacrifices that were given were in the law. You followed the law. You, you were given the express detail in the law of how you were supposed to give sacrifices and when they were supposed to give them. But he took one away that he could establish the second. Then verse 10, but that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We've all been 
sanctified by the offering of Jesus Christ once and for all. It was done once for us and it's been done for all of us in Christ. And when we receive him as our savior, the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to us and we are forgiven of our sins. This makes the new covenant far superior to the old covenant. And again, I don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. It's, many believe Paul, it's possible. I'm not sure. But Paul would go to great lengths in Romans when he's talking about the same thing to say the law is not bad. The law is not bad. The law is just weak. Now, I think the writer of the Hebrews, and if this is Paul, he's using a little stronger words as he gets here. He talks about the law being insufficient. He talks about the law not being perfect. He uses terms like that as he speaks of the law. So when you get to verse 11, he moves on now to Christ's death for us. And he says, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sin. But this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. It's interesting to me that the first martyr of the church, Stephen, who was one of the early deacons in the church, that when he was being stoned, it says that they saw his face as a face of an angel. And he looked up to heaven and he said, I see the Son of Man standing by the right hand of the Father. Jesus stood up to receive that first martyr of the church. And I think speaking of every martyr that has been martyred since, and there have been millions over the years, there are hundreds of thousands that are martyred every year. Let's not forget our brothers and sisters in Christ in many Muslim areas who, who make a commitment to Jesus and it costs them their lives. Over 100,000 a year are killed because they have become Christians in Muslim worlds. And so he was seated by the right hand of God from that very time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he was perfected forever those with all being sanctified, but the Holy Spirit also witnessed to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them in those days, says the Lord, that I will put my laws in their heart and in their minds, and I will write them. Then he added, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is a remission of these things, there is no longer an offering for sin. So once again, he quotes the passage out of Jeremiah where God will give us a new heart and God says, I will remember your sins no more. And I think it's great that he remembers our sins no more because I can't forget my sins. Someone asked me one time, shouldn't we be able to forget our sins? Well, that'd be ultimately nice. As I get older, I guess I am forgetting more and more of them. But along with that forgetting could come a little bit of, of a lack of humility as well. But God remembers our sin no more. I love that Chuck Smith, when he would talk about that, would say, therefore, it's good for us not to do it again and remind him of it. That's what Chuck would say. If God doesn't remember our sin, then let's not do it again and remind him that we've done that sin. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse -verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, 
and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living. Do you love Jesus? Do you want to dig deeper in your walk with God? Then you are a great fit for REACH College with enrollment opportunities. To attend as a student or an auditor, the courses challenge you to analyze your way of thinking as you grow in your walk with Jesus. Find out more at thereachcollege.org. That is thereachcollege.org.